three. Cash Color Cannabis, a higher level of conversation. Um, today we're not in the studio. Obviously, we're on the phone today, and I have a great guest in, the, in on the line. I'm Dr. Uma. I'm um, Dr. Uma. How are you doing today? I am doing great, Mecca. What a pleasure to be here today with you. Yes, yes. Thank you, thank you. Well, um, I know you're busy, and I thank you again for speaking with us. Um, for those who aren't familiar, who is Dr. Uma in a nutshell? is a physician that is committed to changing people's quality of life. And I am a family physician. I'm an occupational environmental medicine physician trained in heavy metals. I'm a medical review officer and very proud to say one of 49 approximate doctors in the nation that's actually certified as a cannabinoid medicine specialist. All right. Now, I've heard you speak about the endocannabinoid system. Um, when was the first time that you found out about it, and how did it change your view on cannabis? Very interesting question. So, I learned nothing about the endocannabinoid system from any of my formal Georgia training in either med school, at MUSC, at Harvard or anywhere had I learned about it. I started to learn about it on my own approximately 10 years ago after my mother saw a TV program about how I could still hear her saying they're using ganja <laughs> in Israel for COPD, asthma, lung cancer, and PTS. And it didn't compute to me why somebody would be smoking weed and that was it was supposed to help you breathe and make you feel better. Just did not compute. And as a physician, I had been telling everybody not to smoke and definitely not to be smoking cannabis in any way, shape, or form. And lo and behold, to find out that this was actually a medicine and that it could be used for all these ailments was my curiosity. And I started to learn about it on my own, and I've been learning about it and teaching it and spreading the word all over the world now. All right. Were you fearful at first about coming out um, so pro-cannabis? Like, did you feel like you'd face any backlash from your, your, your peers, Andy? Oh, I still do. Oh. And, I mean, this is not something that is uh, still, it is federally illegal. Cannabis is still in Schedule 1, along with heroin, LSD, and ecstasy. And doctors have what's called a DEA number, and this DEA number allows you to write prescriptions for things in Schedule 2 through Schedule 5, and cannabis is still in Schedule 1. So there is still no medical reimbursement, say, from the federal government. There are some changes that are being mandated in certain states by judges for certain conditions, but overall... Patients don't just take a prescription when it comes to cannabis because I am not allowed to write a prescription. I can only write a recommendation, and people need to understand that that's the difference, that prescriptions are written for things in Schedule 2 through 5, and a recommendation or certification is written for cannabis. Okay. So is that one of the reasons why we're not seeing more medical schools teach teach about the endocannabinoid system or teach about cannabis? That, well, that's a whole other conversation because, okay. I mean, the endocannabinoid system is 
not something new. It's a mere 600 million years old, and only about 15% of the medical schools even teach it, and even in this day and age. Okay. And um, do you feel like physicians are still uncomfortable even um, recommending cannabis right now to patients? And if so, like, why? why? Because you are speaking truth. Like, we're, we're in a position now where we're seeing more research being done. We're seeing more states come legal. You would think more physicians would be at least open to seeing what's going on with it. They are not. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, that's the whole point is yeah. that there is no incentive. I mean, what I did is completely leave the healthcare system to do what I'm doing. And I'm dedicated to doing that. I don't work for any hospitals. I don't work for any insurance companies. I don't work for any universities. I don't work for Medicare or Medicaid. I work for my patients. How many doctors are willing to do that? Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Especially how... And I can vote... Oh, no, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, 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 not at all. I mean, I want people to understand why. You know, people say, Dr. Juma, why is it more doctors aren't doing this? Well, let's talk about the truth. You know, doctors work for these institutions that are funded by federal money. Mm. So why bite the hand that feeds you, right? Yes. Why not continue writing those prescriptions? And that's why we're facing an opioid epidemic. I mean, the United States is 5% of the world's population, and we're writing 80% of the world's opioids. There's something wrong with that picture. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. 100% agree and, with you. It's absolutely something that patients, you know, are given by their doctors for free. Mm-hmm. I mean, a patient is written a prescription, or they don't even need a prescription written to them anymore. It's waiting for them at a pharmacist, or the pharmacist is calling you, or they mail order it in, and they get it delivered to their home for zero dollars, mm-hmm. or minimal amount of money. Because it's covered by the insurance company. Yeah. Yeah. A recent um, YouGov poll found that 59% of people still view cannabis as addictive. Um, what would you say to those people who still view the plant as an addictive drug? There's addiction, which is an illness, okay? Mm-hmm. And so when people want to understand the truth again, Let's clarify what the truth is. Okay. Okay? Addiction can happen as an illness, and people can get addicted to anything. And uh, people get addicted to cannabis as about 9%, okay, versus 23% or higher when it comes to opioids and tobacco. Yeah. And when we talk about alcohol and tobacco that's legal, when we talk about cannabis... It's comparatively much less. And what people have to understand is that when people stop using cannabis, they're not going to die. Versus when they stop using some of these other drugs, they can die. Yeah. And this is where information has to be provided. We need people to know three basic facts, right? Mm -hmm. Nobody has ever died from cannabis in the world. And cannabis was prescribed in this country, and it was in the pharmacopoeia from 1850 to 1942, and one of the indications was opioid addiction and alcoholism. They treated
<laughs> and if they'd like to find it, I, I blatantly put it out there, you know? www. Go to PubMed, P-U-B-M-E-D dot gov, and they can put in cannabis and see how many articles are out there and see that we've been repeatedly lied to and saying things like there is not enough research, that it's antidotal, and it can kill people, and it's neurotoxic, and it will make people crazy, and that it's neurotoxic to our children, and the, I mean, stop it. Stop it now. And honestly, let's start looking for the truth. And the truth is available to everybody. It's, do you choose to be ignorant? Do you choose to be arrogant? Are my questions that I'm asking people. Mm. And one is saying we don't know, and one is saying I know, and I choose to think the way I want to. Yes. Yes, agree. Um, as cannabis is becoming more legal and legal in more states, we're starting to see brands like Coca-Cola and Corona show interest in the industry. Um, do you feel like that's a positive or a negative for um, for the growth of cannabis? Because I look at cannabis for five things on a global level. Mm-hmm. I look at it for people. I look at it for pets. I look at it for the planet. I look at it for peace. And I look at it for profit. And everybody can jump on board for something. Mm. But this plant is for those five things. And these are Dr. Uma's five Ps. Five. People, pets, the planet, peace, and profit. And that's why Coca-Cola and all of them are going to be on board. But again, it brings me concern because I want to make sure that we have clean medicine. Because Dr. Uma says, safety first, do no harm. And if we take a plant that has killed nobody and we process it and we put pesticides in it and heavy metals and we don't check and now we concentrate it and we give it to people and and all over, we're going to create a poison. So that's my concern now. Coca-Cola to me, carbonated drinks should be avoided by people. Carbonation of any kind leaches calcium, magnesium, and zinc out of your body, but they forget to tell you that. Mm. And people don't go outside. They don't get the sunlight. So they lack the vitamin D. So then over time, your bones start to weaken. Then you get osteoporosis. And then you fall. And the bone will break. They forget to tell you all of this stuff. So when an alcohol, Corona is alcohol. So I don't drink at all. And I I completely gave up alcohol four years ago because those kind of things can be addictive. Yes. And they're depressants. And they kill your brain cells. And they're legal. And I'm trying to make a point. So I said, I'm not going to be a part of that. And I'm not going to support those things. So... I don't support those companies that are going to support mixing it, but you know, they're out to make profit. So that is going to become a product out there that's going to be available for people. Yeah. 
You know, and, and the same goes for politicians. Like with former politicians like John Boehner, who were once um, anti-cannabis, now joining board, becoming board members of cannabis companies. Um, do you see that as a bright sign of growth or a potential problem down the line for, for cannabis, especially when it comes to processing it? Like you said, making sure that we get at least a clean supply. Like, do you feel like seeing more politicians jump on this becomes a, pro, a good sign for us or a bad sign for us? I think it's a, it's, it's a cautious sign that I tell people, go with caution. You know, this is why we just had the Boston Freedom Rally, and my message was very clear. I want you to know where your medicine is coming from, what's in it, and who made it. Right? Yes. If we don't start asking those questions, we're going to produce GMOs. I mean, we've got already politicians right here in Massachusetts, like Elizabeth Warren, that are supporting GMO. And so... I want to know what they're standing for. Ask people to say, who are your politicians? What do they stand for? What are they part of? Are they part of this industry in a positive manner? Or are they using their political power to produce products that's not going to be for patients? You know, these are the questions that we, the people, need to ask about the weed that we want to consume. Yes. You know, since joining the fight for cannabis, uh, what have you been most proud of accomplishing so far? Changing the stigma yeah. and getting to know and teach the world about the endocannabinoid system. And I'm doing it through education. That's my whole mission. And I've been very proud to say I haven't written an opioid in almost a decade. And I clearly made the statement, cannabis is not an entrance drug. It is an exit drug from pharmaceuticals, narcotics, alcohol, and nicotine. Yes. Mm. You know, you sound so vibrant and passionate about the plant that I don't even want to think about this last question, but this is my last question for you. When or if you ever do retire, what would you want to be remembered for the most um, about the fi- when it comes to your fight for cannabis? I, I really would like people to be able to say, you know, Dr. Uma really opened our hearts and opened our minds. And that's one of the things I I keep telling people is, please open your hearts. You don't need to use this medicine, but you know somebody that can benefit from it. Open your minds because we all have an endocannabinoid system no matter where you are. So if that message is left behind, I've done my, my work and I've left something more for people to do.